With the return of the NBA season coming fast, The Athletic has launched The Athletic NBA Show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices under one umbrella. David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, and more. Along with a rotating cast of beat writers from around the league, Every Day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues and deep dives into in-game analytics. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic NBA Show, Available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Raptors Reasonableist. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Not too much. I'm awake, which is uh, a good thing for the podcast, I'd say, in in terms of it getting recorded. Maybe not for its quality. Yeah, I could Uh, go either way. Yeah, uh, I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm okay, man. It's, uh, you know, I think I said on this podcast last week that the foster that I had went back because uh, he was ready to be adopted. Well, they found an infection, so he's back with us for another week. So I get another week of rust. I myself am not feeling the best um, non-respiratory symptoms. So just being careful and, you know, being extra vigilant with the caution and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah, it's, fa- uh, the false finish with Russ really must have thrown you yeah. off. Kicked out at 2.999 like he's Kazuchika Okada. Exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, and look, I don't want to... Uh, I think the New Japan Cup and uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion shows are far enough behind us now that we could talk about it without risking spoilers. But boy, is uh, having Kazuchika Okada in a mid-card feud with like a career low-card meh guy underwhelming. It's almost like if the NBA relaunched and you had the Milwaukee Bucks play the skeleton of the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Or, you know, Washington, the Washington Wizards without Brad Beal and Davis. Da- uh, I've been told. Davis. <laughs> Davis Bertens. Oh, man. I'm never going to get that one. Um, you got to let the A breathe. Uh, yeah, Davis. maybe I just have anyway. Um, yeah, that series is gonna suck. <laughs> yep, uh, I don't. I still don't think we know about Jonathan Isaac's status. Like he's doing five on five, but not close enough to where the Magic are comfortable saying he's gonna play or not gonna play. Uh, I feel like if Jonathan Isaac isn't there, the two seven might not be all that exciting either. Especially if it's a rematch of last season when we saw plenty of that. Uh, the, not that the Magic are. You know, I would say the Magic are an order of magnitude more dangerous and interesting than this version of the Nets team and the the Wizards team. No disrespect intended to uh, Karis LeVert, favorite of the podcast. But, yeah, the Magic are, you know, a little feistier. Markel Fultz was coming along. Uh, Evan Fournier, I believe, we're anticipating playing. Um, Al Farouk Amino, we still don't know. Mo Bamba gained even more weight than Chris Boucher, allegedly. So, like, <laughs> I don't know if you, Do you remember... I'm going to make this all about wrestling early on and turn everyone off. Uh, do you remember when Scott Steiner came to WWE? Like, I have, I have a vague WWE as Big Papa Pump. I have like, a vague memory of it. Yeah. So in the feud, uh, his first big feud was with Triple H, I think, for the title. And one of the ways they built the feud was like they had like a bench press competition, uh, <laughs> like on the state. Like you know how normally there's like a contract signing, and sometimes they'll do like an arm wrestling match or whatever. They I'm did familiar. a bench press competition. I feel like Game Three of Raptors Magic is going to be Mo Bamba and Chris Boucher. In a bench press competition. <laughs> I mean, it should. Yeah, I would 
I would at least hope they have that before game one, just as like a promo, the equivalent of a promo. Um, yeah. That would be worth seeing. Um, yeah. The, uh, you know, it, this is the time, right? We are, teams arrived to the Orlando bubble over the course of July 7th to 9th. They all did a 36 to 48 hour quarantine uh, and now have started practicing. Uh, so you're getting a lot of these stories, a lot of the muscle watch stories. Uh, you're getting some Instagram photos of Matt Thomas looking real jacked, baby. Um, and hey, if you want to read about Matt Thomas and the rookie year he had and his mental approach to being a shooting specialist, do I have a story for you today? Uh, Theathletic.com slash we the six if you're not already a subscriber and you would like 40% off or click that Matt Thomas article and get a 30 day free trial. Um, that was a fun one to write some quotes I had left over from uh, during the season and some video dive on, on Matt Thomas, uh, who we might talk about a little bit more. Today, we're going to do a mailbag for you guys. Uh, I know we just did one a couple weeks ago, but there are lots of questions, as you might expect with the league ramping up. Uh, before we get to that, Eric, the Raptors have had three practices with media availability. Uh, Kyle Lowry finally spoke. Mark Gasol has not uh, because he has been working partial practices and was allowed to go home. Uh, Nick Nurse spoke every day and a couple other guys. What Have you had any impressions so far from those first couple of availabilities we've done? I feel like I'm only slightly less qualified to talk about how quote-unquote training camp is going than in usual training camps where we're actually there but still don't get to see anything. Um, so I, I guess I can BS the same approximate level that I usually do. Uh, I mean, the you, most you don't have a hot campaign Isaiah Taylor take yet. <laughs> I guess that's what this is missing. Um, yeah, um, yeah. There's no competition for roster spots. Yeah, what are what, what are you going to do your five part series? On, on, yeah, on my ha- my handicapping of the uh, <laughs> those final roster spots. Um, I mean, it's interesting how they're uh, and I mean, my my real take is like that not much news has come of this, uh, but like to see how they are uh, getting people back in slowly, uh, especially the three older ish players on the team, Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka and uh, Mark Gasol. Nick Nurse mentioned that they, all three of them, along with OG Ananobi, he's mentioned, uh, and maybe that just goes along with the the level which he was able to get some work in uh, during the uh, great absence. I don't know the 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 what were they calling it? The hiatus. hiatus? Yes, the hiatus. Are you going for like a Great Depression kind of thing here with the great? The great absence? Um, I wasn't, but I like I have been calling these like to myself and, and like a few other people like the great indoor times. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think I, the the big pause would also work, like the big sleep. But yeah, or the big freeze. Yeah. Um, that was a movie, right? The big freeze. Sure, the big yeah. chill was a movie. The big, maybe? Oh, the big chill. That's what I'm looking for. Um, but it's interesting. That, how- that's just me and you. The first time we're allowed to hang out with people. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, so it's interesting that that um, they are getting their they're being put in slowly, and, and on t- we're talking Tuesday morning, and the Raptors are depending on your definition of already are already having a day off, but they're certainly not the first team to do so. I know like Denver and Houston and a few other teams have already had days off. They might have been in the bubble a little bit sooner than the Raptors, so this all tracks and it's not a criticism just an observation but 
like this is new ground for everybody. And uh, like there's more, as Nick Nurse pointed out, there's a lot more time now before any sort of exhibition game slash scrimmage than there would be in training camp when you have basically have four days and then you're playing somebody. So they have, they have, you know, the lack of roster turnover and, and a longer ramp up. So they probably have more time to play with than they're used to when you want to compare it to a straight training camp. So it's a bit different from that perspective. I enjoyed the first day of availability when Fred Van Vliet said, um, Nick Nurse, uh, I think Nick, no, Nick, Nick Nurse said he pushed them very hard. And then Fred Van Vliet was like, yeah, it wasn't really much. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I, I think everybody's just finding their level and there's not a ton of news to, uh, to pull from this. No, I think maybe the most, the biggest takeaway, uh, so far from these availabilities at least is that, um, what you wrote about on Monday, 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 mm-hmm. Monday, 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 on Monday, uh, about Monday. Kyle Lowry's leadership and how normally, and especially with us, but normally Kyle Lowry is this skeptical, opinionated person and the fact that he's been a part of the process on the NBPA side planning some of this stuff from a return to play format perspective and from a social activism perspective and that he's so confident in what they've set up now it should be said that uh, the NBA and NBPA announced yesterday that there were two positive tests uh, during the Orlando quarantine period and those players have now been moved off site Um, to quarantine. There were also 19 players who tested positive in their home markets and stayed behind there. Um, We don't know names or anything like that. The league is probably not going to provide them. And I don't think, you know, if if it gets to a point where a player's not playing in a game and there's no injury, you could probably figure it out. But speaking only for myself, that's certainly not something I'm going to be knocking on doors and DMs and text messages to try to find out the player's private medical stuff if he's not available to practice one day or something like that. Uh, And I think you probably got to get used to that league-wide, that there's going to be some injury uncertainty. Anyway, Lowry has been pretty... Also, uh, we should mention along the same lines that two players recklessly broke quarantine. Yes. Or or bubble rules. So, yeah, Bruno Bruno Bruno's was during the mandatory quarantine period of 36 to 48 hours when he first got there. It was the first day of quarantine. He left his room. I can't imagine what was going through his head. But and then Rashawn Holmes was trying to pick up food, which, uh, you know, we've seen some of the menus going around. The obvious joke to make here is that uh, Rashawn Holmes ordered from one of Tillman Fertitta's restaurants and Bruno was forced to deliver it because Tillman Fertitta is not going to pay delivery people. When he's already got employees <laughs> at the, the Disney bubble, but um, I don't know. That joke might be insensitive. I to, don't know. To, to Tillman Fertitta, or I guess just the general situation where, like, what the hell are you guys doing breaking quarantine? Like, this yeah. this couldn't have been more straightforward. Um, I mean, Bruno certainly seems like it was just, like... A, a mistake, but how do you make that mistake? You yeah, have to. You, for you what have reason to stay, are you leaving your you room? Ha- it's the mandatory quarantine period. You have to stay in your room. It's not that complicated. Anyway, anyway th- what those things highlight: the two positive tests, the nineteen in the markets, the two people getting an eight-day quarantine for violating, shows that at least the league and a player like Kyle Lowry would tell you that that shows the system is working. Now, there's more nuance than that. Like just because players, do, like. 
these players arrived and were tested positive in quarantine. So the bubble, quote unquote, is not compromised. You know, there's an argument to be made that the announcement that the league was coming back, you know, maybe caused players to take more risks than they otherwise would in terms of getting court time and stuff like that. And those things are, you know, it's going to be really hard to pull those things apart and see, you know, like if the NBA bubble goes ahead and there are no positive tests, but 20 or 30 players tested positive beforehand as they got ready for the season, you know, and then the league would tell you those players were going to be playing anyway. Anyway, I just mean that to say that you don't, you don't get to pat the league on the back uh, just yet, but as Lowry kind of explained to us, you know, the system is working so far and the players in the union feel pretty comfortable uh, with it. And since that's coming from Kyle Lowry, king of the cynics, uh, carries a little bit more weight. Exactly. And and that's what I mean. I was trying to get at that, but also that having his voice um, and, you know, his skepticism and, and his, you know, his slowness to trust, perhaps, or his his loathness, is that a word? His, uh, you need to prove it to Kyle Lowry. So if he thinks this is a good idea, and or not a good idea, but a, a workable idea, let's say, uh, that's not a, a guarantee of anything. But uh, I, I think having a voice like that, uh, at least somewhat, more involved than, you know, most players' voices. Uh, you know, he's one of the players who has the loudest voices, is what I've said now in the longest possible way. Uh, can only be a good thing for the league and the NBA. And then when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, he was obviously uh, active in Philadelphia, where he was during the great hiatus. And um, he will continue to be active with the Raptors. And, and he's... Uh, you know, he, after, you know, not to make this funny or anything, but like in typical Larry fashion, he spent the first little bit just like going through all the media members and making fun of them. And then in an answer, talking, uh, talking to us, it's like, it was an, it was, I don't know if he said it was an honor to talk to us guys, but it was, it was a blessing to be able to talk to us guys, uh, the media, which was to say, not actually talking to media, the media, but having the platform to do so. And yes, uh, he said he, it was an honor to be to represent the yeah, black culture. Yeah, um, and and that was you know uh, not necessarily guaranteed for his life growing up as uh, a as a black kid and now a black man in uh, in the United States. Uh, those, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, but that's essentially what he was getting at. I, I think he's given a lot of thought to this and. Uh, it's, you know, as always, he's going to remain very, very interesting during this period, not only on the court, but uh, how he carries himself off the court is going to have a lot to do with how the Raptors sort of look off the court as well. And, you know, uh, from that perspective, it was uh, nice to see them coming in when they came into the bubble with uh, Black Lives Matter all over their buses. Um, and I pretty sure that uh, he was at least somewhat involved in that decision too. By the way, breaking news, Blake, uh, the Canadian-U.S. border is closed till August 21st. Shocker. Oh, boy. That does not affect me at all. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But yeah, uh, you know, the Raptors are off to a pretty good start in terms of, not that it's a competition, but in terms of backing up that they're going to try to use this platform 
uh, and this opportunity to continue getting the message out. You know, every scrum, every practice from photo, the players are working out in uh, Black Lives Matter t-shirts in the Raptors font, which, by the way, if any Raptors people are listening, uh, I would like one or please put them on sale because uh, they're great shirts and obviously a great message. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see how that continues. I know that um, from the league side, when players have checked into the rooms, there are reading materials available on racial history. Um, there's television programming as well. Uh, I think the next step from that, and I'm sure it's something the union and the league are trying to figure out, is how do we, or how do they, or how do we extend that to the audience as well? Because, you know, that's a big part of this too, is making sure that people can't, you know, that it's not a distraction and that people can't just kind of lock back in and forget about everything else that's going on. So a uh, good start in that regard for the Raptors. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to to push those messages and, you know, maybe not Canadianize them, but uh, make it relevant to uh, their fans here in Canada that this isn't just a United States issue as well. Uh, Eric, we're going to shift focus now and shift tone and we're going to open up the mailbag. Does that work for you? Uh, that works for me. I'm just catching up with Carol Lawson uh, heading to Duke from Boston. Why uh, are you reading news while we're recording a podcast? Um, I don't know. Like, bring up the entertainment level. All right. Um, Good for for Kara Lawson, though. Yeah. Uh, All right. I'm locked in. Let's go. Oh, by the way, just because you mentioned a a female basketball player and we're talking about uh, relaunch stuff, uh, what the WNBA is doing with Elena Del Don is uh, bullshit. That sucks. Yes. That really Uh, sucks. She has Lyme disease, and uh, which is really serious and can be pretty debilitating and uh, I gather I haven't read a ton about it she applied for uh, to opt out and the WNBA doctors I guess didn't agree uh, that she was at heightened risk or whatever language they're using and uh, so so now there's I assume it will become an argument about money yeah Um, and you know we're not talking NBA levels of money here. WNBA players are already pretty underpaid, and even in the new CBA. So I think we're talking about like two hundred grand and change, um, which is not nothing, obviously, for the, the WNBA. But it's uh, it's small enough that I don't think I'd want to piss off one of the most important players in league history over it. Um, while we're on the WNBA topic, uh, the they released the schedule uh, for their relaunch yesterday. It's going to have uh, a number of nationally televised games in the U.S. Hopefully we get some coverage here. Uh, New York Liberty, Minnesota Lynx, and Indiana Fever all have Canadians on their team. Uh, I'm a Liberty guy. Keep an eye on those three teams as the WNBA picks up. All right, Eric, mailbag time. Let's go. All right, first question comes from Kenneth. Kenneth asks, since you guys won't be live watching the games in person, what do you feel is the biggest challenge of doing your job now? Do you plan to analyze games like the rest of us from watching TV? Um... Well, I mean, this is obviously a question for both of us, and the way we approach writing games is typically a bit different with, I mean, in broad, broad, broad strokes, me relying a bit more on uh, player quotes and insights and trying to get inside one particular story and you doing more in-game analysis. Um, It's really tough for me not to be able to just... I don't want to use the term sidle because that is, you know, it's a, as as good of a story as that was in the ringer. I think Brian Curtis wrote it. It's it's now somewhat overused, but 
to get like a spare observation from a player or a spare quote from a player about something I'm really interested in, uh, to not be able to do that, um, despite, you know, the league and the Raptors doing what they can to provide us uh, with player access. Obviously, they can't provide everybody, every single they, player they want one-on-one. That's just not going to happen and unrealistic. That's the toughest job for me. I feel like the India... I feel, and maybe I'll feel differently about this after having covered a bunch of games on TV, and obviously I've done that basically for my whole career, but this will be the longest time consecutively where we're doing it. I feel like we'll lose something by not being there, but it it will be an incremental loss in terms of ability to analyze versus... uh, a bigger loss. Yeah. Like the, in, in terms of that, like the example that stands out to me is, um, you know, that Raptors Kings game before, right before the, the hiatus where uh, the Raptors came out of a timeout late in the game. And then Kyle Lowry called another timeout and was like, like I could see because I was close that he was clearly like he had noticed something and was changing the play. And I wrote about that. And that's something where maybe you pick it up on TV, but maybe you can't. And, and you certainly can't ask about it afterward. Yeah. Um, at least not in a, you know, maybe you can in a press conference. But I also think there's an element of like players are just not going to be as free talking about sure. stuff in that in the Zoom format. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, like for me, I'm not sweating it too much. Like I did the job without access for a long time and then with limited access for a long time. I didn't travel in the first two rounds of the playoffs last year. Um, you know, I haven't, I don't have a ton of road games under my belt anyway, so it's just going to feel like a lot of road games really. And for me, I can just kind of shift into, you know, you'll see less of the storytelling stuff and less of the featurey stuff, but I'll just keep it in analysis mode. And, um, you know, that it's still, I'm not saying it's not, it's nothing because I still appreciate that access. And like the piece that I had go up with Matt Thomas today, you know, where he shares some of his insights into what's going on on the court, like that stuff's valuable and, there's a layer of, you know, I can analyze from home, but I can't, you know, I don't, as much as I watch a lot of basketball and think I'm pretty good with the analysis, you know, there's, there's another level of when you're able to ask a player about it and they're able to tell you what they saw or what their mentality was and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're all going to, we're all on the same boat except for like 10 or 12 media. So we'll figure it out. Um, and I, I would add, like, if we were still sitting courtside in, in many arenas, and this is not a c- criticism of not sitting courtside anymore, uh, I get why that is generally the case now. But if we were, we would be losing a lot more uh, from that perspective. Like you mentioned uh, with the Kings example, that that type of thing happened a lot more when you were you know, right on the floor, I can sometimes hear people or sometimes, you know, see a facial expression or or more closely see a facial expression or frustration or some sort of emotion uh, than when we're sitting, you know, in the top of the first deck or or whatever, when that stuff is obviously uh, very much, uh, it's more difficult to hear and see and observe that type of stuff. Uh, Similar question now from Joshua Howe. Uh, for Raptors Republic, he asks, how have you found the Zoom media availability as opposed to the in-person scrums? Uh, do you miss being able to roam the locker room to talk to guys? Which, the second point we already kind of answered, I wouldn't use the term roam because I try to be efficient with uh, my time and their space. Uh, but yeah, that's that's something that, you know, especially with the guys lower on the roster, I get a lot of value out of. Um, you know, everyone knows 
that I like to do things on, like the two-way players or the back of roster guys and what they're up to. Uh, and those conversations are, are gone. Eric, you get a lot of color from being in the locker room. In terms of the Zoom media availabilities, I think we're all still kind of figuring it out. Like, you know, they're not bad. It's nice to talk to guys. Um, but yeah, it's missing a little bit of potential back and forth. And, you know, like you said, Eric, the walk away after. Um, and then like some of the, you know, you lose some of the context of like how many times in the last five years have has a Raptor been doing a scrum and then another Raptor does something funny that ends up making its way into a story or at least social media or whatever, you know, the, the Jonas holding up the point sign, the, you know, the Norman Powell, Rondé, Hollis Jefferson, I'm not your child, like all that stuff. Uh, that's the kind of stuff you're going to, you're going to lose now because other than Bobby Webster interrupting Kyle Lowry's scrum yesterday, I don't think you're going to see much interaction. Uh, also O'Shea Brissett, annoying Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, in uh in his media availability anyway uh, uh so that's my answer there Rick. yeah uh i'll just jump on that like even an in-person scrum like by being able to see how the or, or being able to have the player see you he can sort of tell when you have a follow-up uh or are or, or wanting to change the nature of the question maybe or clarify the question uh and that just adds a degree of, you know, uh, it, it removes a, another layer of imperson, impersonality. Is that a word? Um, it, it just makes it easier for everybody to understand each other. So I think it's going relatively fine so far. But I mean, they're, first of all, as you mentioned, everybody's still getting used to it. And there are just some barriers when you're not in the same room together that are hard to overcome and, and I anticipate will be difficult to overcome. And like specifically with Kyle Lowry, the best time to get him for one-on-one stuff is always after he does a scrum post-game. Um, that's what I found at least. And now that is completely removed and that... Uh, isn't great for talking to the Raptor who is, you know, I'd say we, we would probably agree is of the most interest to the general population. Yeah. And who, when he's not trolling us for an entire interview is <laughs> one of the smartest players in the entire NBA and um, can be really, really insightful from a, you know, for my purposes, from an analysis perspective, there's, you know, it's always a huge risk to ask Lowry a question because sometimes he's going to give you the nah, nah, Blake, nah, Um, but when he's playing ball, there are very few players as smart and as helpful understanding the game as Kyle Lowry. Uh, anyway, none of that is to complain. Obviously it's a strange situation for all of us and we're going to make the most of it, but those were the questions we got asked and they will dictate some of what our coverage looks like. So there you go. Uh, one of the other tweaks in the process will be that players are not showering at the arena, but busing back to the hotels to shower, which should make media time quicker Uh, after games, but it runs the risk of foul odors on the team bus. Luckily, there's Hawthorne, which smells great. Whether Fred Jr. sent Fred Sr. off with a bottle for Father's Day or a significant other wanted to spruce up their man, Hawthorne will come through. You can take a quick two-minute survey, and Hawthorne will tell you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play, with free shipping and free returns, so very little risk. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. You're so pleased with yourself. Yeah, I, uh, 
I'm getting good at this, man. That's uh... a... <laughs> yeah. uh, You're a pro. On the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me and Landry Fields. <laughs> uh, to steal the joke you made off air that I still don't really have the context on. but Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, the mailbag continues here. We have a question from our boy, the Zoobs. He the asks, Zoobs. what would happen for your own personal version of is Prime Marcus all back buzz to pick up? So, Eric, if you were thinking of what Prime Eric Kareen uh, looks like, whether journalistically or, or basketball-wise or whatever, uh, what would be the the signals where with Marc Gasol, it's more of an offensive role and his weight being down. How would we get Prime Eric Kareen back buzz on Twitter? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, I, I think, like, I don't know if it's on Twitter or in a story, um, but, like, I feel like in a story, I don't know if this is like prime or just like the most me. Yeah, and Michael I'm not, uh, Cole voice, vintage Kareen. Yeah, like a reference to somebody self-parodying themselves, um, which, you know, I do often, but also like a, a five-paragraph philosophical lead that is only va- that only vaguely has to do with the story that I'm writing. Um, I feel like that is very me, whether it's prime me, like, I think that's a question for other people. It's, you know, I have favorite stories I've written and favorite tweets that I've gotten off, but, uh, I I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to y'all to, uh, judge what's the best version of me, but that's what feels like the most, you know, prototypically me. Yeah. I think for me, it's probably, and this is difficult to do you know, as editorial standards increase and and headline lengths shorten. And, you know, I I think people understand that writers don't always get to do their own headlines or have final say. But if you get a deep pop punk pun or reference in a headline of mine, that's when, you know, I'm, I'm in my bag. So they say, (laughs) um, yeah, you, you do get those in and like, uh, was it the trade, uh, the best trades in Raptors history column where you like named them all after, yeah, they uh, were. It was. It doubled as a playlist. Yeah, um, that was very you. Yeah, yeah. Or the time. I mean, you talked about meandering leads that don't go anywhere. Like I wrote like six hundred words about taking back Sunday before I mentioned Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard uh, in a piece last year. So yeah, no, I feel and I, like I like talk about this with our colleague Michael Grange a lot. Like almost all of my stories, and when I like feel like I really have to switch it up, are me talking for at least three paragraphs about what the story is not about. Um, there you go. <laughs> which, which is great. <laughs> that's, no, uh, it's great. It's, it's when you wind up the left and hit them with the right, you know? Yeah, yeah. So now, right. we're, now we're done talking about what we're not talking about. Let's talk about the thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, let's continue with the mailbag. Uh, this question comes from Miles Moose. He asks, do you think the number of players staying home hurts the legitimacy of the playoffs, or is it on par with the number of injuries we'd normally see? I think what I would say for this one is that everyone's playing from the same deck and dealing with the same circumstances here. And like, yeah, the Lakers are without Avery Bradley and then Rajon Rondo got hurt. Um, And, you know, some of the lower teams like are missing a Brad Beal potentially and things like that. But big picture, you know, I I mean, there's been a lot of asterisk talk and stuff like that. And I think I don't think asterisk is the right word. I think people are going to look at this championship and the playoffs very uniquely. Yeah, it's uh, different. Obviously. Yeah, and everyone's kind of dealing with the same situation. Now, ask me again if a superstar-level player 
you know, God forbid, gets test positive or, or suffers an injury because the, the compressed schedule upon relaunch or whatever, um, then we can get into more of that. But I think, you know, I think if you make the second round and the eight teams there are eight teams that should be there and they're mostly healthy, I think I think it'll be OK and people kind of put that aside. Yeah, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, now, if the coronavirus rips through, I, I mean, that's a crappy way to put it. But if it like goes through a team and all of a sudden they're playing without five or six rotation players, then it becomes very, very different. And obviously that's not a situation that you would expect any other years. Like, you know, the flu might go through a team or just stay with Joel Embiid for two weeks conveniently. Bubble guts. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, the, that would be very different. And like, if it happens to the Bucks or the Raptors or the Clippers or the Lakers or the Celtics at the wrong time, then you say, yeah, this is different. But uh, I mean, we saw how many people wanted to hang in, you know, a quote unquote asterisk on the Raptors championship because of what happened to Golden State. Like I, you know, injuries are part of it. I, and I don't think that anybody has opted out yet that will have anything or, or not anything, but we'll have like an outsized say on that would normally have an outsized say on who ends up victorious. What was that? Uh, I was sort of going for the Bobby Roode glorious. glorious. Um, I, in a muted version. Yeah. You went more on the hip hop side. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like not- notorious. notorious. That's probably what I was, yeah. but I was thinking of Bobby Roode. Um, anyway, <clears throat> Aren't right. we? Aren't we all? Yeah. Uh, question here from a couple bots, which is a, a weird account name. I don't know if this account is run by several bots or what, but it's a good question that our answer is probably going to be we don't know yet. Uh, better career: Chauncey Billups or Kyle Lowry? I would say to this point they're pretty close. Uh, the differentiating factor could end up being that uh, I think at 35 Chauncey suffered an Achilles injury that. Um, kind of veered him off what was a very graceful aging curve to that point, a very Lowry-like aging curve to that point. So uh, if Lowry can stay healthy, he might be able to push past his uh, his mentor, as it were. Uh, but right now, they're very close. You know, Billups, similar career path, similar uh, playoff success. I think a little bit more on the accol- individual accolade side, but also that has to do with, you know, Lowry being like, the equivalent of fourth team all NBA, if such a thing existed a hundred times. Um, do you have a take on that one, Eric? Yeah, I think they're really close. I think there's an interesting parallel to draw. Like, even though Kyle hasn't changed teams late in his career, like this is very much like, like Bill up for Kyle. This is very much like Bill ups getting traded to the nuggets and then helping lead another team very deep into the playoffs. Kind of like this, this is his year where the nuggets, made the Western Conference final and and came pretty close to beating the Lakers. Um, So, yeah, what Lowry does with, like, this year and next, I would say, would, like, if he really helps push the Raptors to, like, a final, certainly, but deep in the playoffs, that only adds to his resume. Is Billups in the Hall of Fame yet? I think he is. I don't know that he's eligible. Uh, Oh, Um, I'll look that up. But I I think it's remarkable how similar they they are. Maybe Billups got his career, quote unquote, on track a bit sooner than Lowry, but maybe it was like five and six years for both of them. Um, they're very close and they're both, uh, I would say, borderline Hall of Famers edging toward uh, 
yes, yeses, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they should both be in personally. Um, I see many stories saying Chauncey Billups deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's yeah. been nominated for the Hall of Fame, um, but I do not think he is in the Hall of Fame yet. But let's move on to the next question. Maybe I can verify yeah. that. Uh, these next two come from what I can only imagine are Kyle Dubas alt accounts because they're both about pro wrestling. Uh, so, Eric, this one comes from Ricky Hart. Uh, when do you think Master Watto will win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship? Uh, I cannot answer that. I'll leave it to you. I will say 2025 and not a moment sooner. He's got a lot of, a lot of character work to fight through and uh, he needs a little less blue in his ring gear. Uh, the next one comes from Brew, also a Kyle Dubas alt account. Do you think the evil heel push is a roundabout but effective way to get Hiromu Takahashi over big and anoint him as the heir apparent to Naito? I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting point. I, I would say uh, I think that's likelier the plan if they weren't hot-shotting a Hiromu evil title shot as soon as July 25th. Um, that's an interesting long-term story. I think they're I think you got to hit a few plot points before that about uh, Los Ingobernables de Japan and, you know, Naito's shady leadership and the fact that they've been one of the, while one of the most successful groups, one of the least cohesive, uh, they got a little bit of L.A. Clippers to them in that regard. So uh, yet to be seen, but it's a, it's a good theory from Brew. I'm using air quotes there. Uh, thank you for your questions, Kyle. Chauncey Billups not in the Hall of Fame yet, and I think that probably has a lot to do. He was nominated in 2019, and then the 2020 class was uh, the Kobe, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett class. Uh, so, like, nobody was getting in that year other than, you know, the <laughs> some some top peak pinnacle players. Uh, he and Chris Webber, I'm sure, are... I'm not sure, but they're definitely on deck uh, for some of the names to consider after this class. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, All right. The next question comes from Alejandro. He asks, in the playoffs, the Raptors will have to be prolific from the mid-range. Should mid-range proficiency be a focus in the bubble games and which Raptors likely needed to step up their mid-range game? Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think the mid-range is an important counter, especially for ball-dominant players. You know, it's, it's something... We'd love to see Pascal Siakam add more to his game, and that was clearly something he was working on but wasn't particularly efficient yet. Um, you know, the Raptors' offense is geared toward trying to get a foot in the paint either for a shot at the rim or a three-point shot, the same as a lot of teams. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to be geared toward take like creating yeah. mid-range shots and focusing on that, but you do have to be shot-ready on those, and that's honestly where Serge Ibaka has come in so handy, especially with bench groups, is that you know, he can stroke that 18-footer and soak up some usage in lineups where sometimes they struggle to get to the rim or create open threes. Um, you know, the mid-range game is not... I don't think you want to build an offense where that's the end itself, but the way, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks protect the rim incredibly well, and it's hard to score when you get there, and it's even harder to get there, and you need to have some counters, and you need to be ready to embrace what the defense gives you sometimes, and I don't want... You know, I don't think you want, like, if you remember back to the last time the Raptors played the the Wizards in the playoffs, you know, that series looked a certain way because John Wall was shooting like 70% on mid-range jumpers <laughs> through three or four games, and then he came back down to earth. Like, that's, those aren't efficient shots in general, but they're ones that if you have the ball in your hand a lot against a good defense, you have to be ready to take sometimes. So whether that's Lowry, Van Vliet, Ibaka, Gasol, especially Pascal Siakam, 
Um, they should be more. They should be shot ready for those for sure. But I don't think it's going to be uh, a goal. Itself. Yeah, you don't draw up plays to get that shot. Other than like occasionally the point guard Ibaka pick and pop. Like that. That's that's not a play you want to. That's not a type of shot you want to encourage. And I think you'll see because they don't have Kawhi Leonard, it will be a uh, an option they don't go to as quickly or as readily um, as they did last year. But like you said, sometimes that is the shot that is there and you take it and you take it with confidence. And maybe if it means altering what you're doing in practice to get used to those types of shots, maybe you're doing a bit more of that if if it even matters to, to a player's rhythm to take a, you know, a hundred shots from 18 feet a day, which I, I'm sure that would help <laughs> getting ready to take the 18 footer. I mean, usually you see players beyond the three point line when they're shooting, but not always. Anyway, you're not drawing it up. Like offensive fundamentals don't change in the playoffs. Like the types of shots you still want to try and get the best shots. There's just an acknowledgement that when you're playing better defenses, it's much more difficult to get those. That doesn't mean you stop trying. Uh, if anything, you have to try harder. So if you do have to settle for those shots, the defense is a little more off balance and those shots are cleaner looks. All right. Our next question comes from Blair. He asks, do you see OG getting a more prominent role in the offense during the eight game restart? It could be good to build his confidence going into the playoffs and diversify the wraps in the half court offense. I don't like, I, I think, I, I think they were, you know, sort of getting to him a bit more, but I still have trouble seeing with all the efficient offensive options they've had this year, whether it's uh, efficient's the wrong word, but prolific, I guess. Lowry, Powell, uh, they want to run the, you know, they want Marcus Gasol with the ball, whether he's scoring or not a lot more. Van Vliet, Siakam, uh, Surge has certainly been great. Like, to try and get the ball purposely to OG Ananobi still doesn't seem like the most efficient op- option in the in the seeding games. But yeah, like maybe once or twice, if he has a mismatch, you put him in the post and see what he can do. Uh, you're, you know, it's, a, it's something you're trying maybe one or two times more than you would otherwise. But I don't think, I, I still think if the Raptors are healthy, most of the shots that are coming to him are the threes because they those are what the opposition will give up for the lack of the better, a better word. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one to navigate because I definitely get where Blair's question is yeah. coming from, and, yeah. and you look at you know, it, I, and I don't I don't agree with you entirely, Eric. Like I do think there's a good argument to be made to to try to get in and Obi some more touches. You know, he hit 38.1 percent of his threes this year and is at 36.2 percent for his career. Um, you know, he only had a 14.4 usage rate percent usage rate while on the floor this year, despite having a true shooting percentage of almost 60 percent. And yes, like some of that efficiency is made possible by the low usage and, and the fact that he only gets you know, an efficient diet of shots because of his role. Um, But, you know, it was a little, I think qualitatively, we saw OG make offensive progress this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, like I I think I, I was talking about it on another podcast, like his footwork in the post, like even though, I still get worried like he's going to stumble when he's driving. Uh, He just has sort of that barreling sort of gait. Um, 
his, his footwork, especially when he can use the rim as defense uh, uh, against a blocked shot, like I think it really improved. Um, I, I think he was able to go baseline a bit more effectively uh, on the swing pass. It's still, it's just not an area, I think, where they should be consistent, not consistently, that's the wrong word. Like, yes, incrementally, you could swing the ball to OG and let him go to work, but I would wa- not want to do that more than like one or more two time, one or two more times than you otherwise would. That's, I think, what I'm trying to say. If the ball yeah, finds and- him in the rhythm of the offense, that's great, but you'd want to be selective with the opportunities you're giving OG to expand his game. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, and, and my point about his qualitative improvement was mostly just that, um, you know, his usage actually went down as the season went on. Uh, he averaged more points, but that was because he was playing more minutes on a per-possession basis. Uh, he was actually less involved and more yeah. efficient. So what what I think is complicated about this, specifically with Blair's question about the reseeding games, you know, you look ahead to the playoffs and you certainly want Ananobi to be ready to soak up, you know, maybe it's only 15% of possessions. Maybe it's lower than that. Who knows? But if you look at how a defense might treat the Raptors top seven players, even top eight, if you assume Terrence Davis and not Patrick McCaw is going to be in that spot, you know, Ananobi is the spot where a defense might try to hide their worst defender. And you might, that might necessitate that you get Ananobi involved as a screener a little bit more to try to get you know, Siakam or Lowry or Van Vliet a mismatch that way. Um, you know, he's certainly the guy that teams are going to help off of to, to double or trap and leave him open. So he's got to be shot ready, which to his credit, he does well on. Um, you know, I think the issue you run into in terms of using the eight reseeding games to get Ananobi more reps is how do you get him more reps that replicate what the type of possessions he's going to be asked to fill in the playoffs? You know, it's not, it's a completely different thing to be like, well, in these eight reseeding games, you know, Lowry, Van Vliet, Gasol, and Siakam are all only going to average 30 minutes a game. So Ananobi is going to run a bit more of the offense for, you know, bench units later in game. Say say that's the approach you want to take to get in more touches. Well, that's not, that's helpful from a skill development standpoint, but it's maybe not as helpful for getting him postseason role ready. Um, so it's a tough thing to, to balance. And I'm sure that you know, again, we're, with all these questions, we're going to have to see how guys look coming out of the, the hiatus. But I think Ananobi's a guy who's earned a little more trust and earned a little more touches. And it's probably worth, you know, hey, can can we bump that usage rate to 16 or 17 percent in these eight reseeding games um, just to make sure he, he has a comfort level? Because we've seen when the Raptors are on defense, uh, what what it means to have a non-offensive threat uh, on the floor. Absolutely. So uh, the Raptors are going to want to make sure that they don't have any of those non-threats as well. And making sure OG is uh, is ready is important because he's going to be so immensely important uh, to the defensive side of the ball. Quickly, uh, great question from Blair. Quickly, uh, I will just say we also saw some improvement of for OG as a passer. Uh, and I'm thinking specifically of the game in Miami where they missed all the three-pointers. Uh, yes. He made some, yeah when he played center basically to, as a zone buster. Yeah, he made some really good looks in that game, uh, or he had some really good looks in that game. Uh, I've always thought he's an underrated passer just because he doesn't have the ball. Yeah, he doesn't have many opportunities to show it off, but uh, I think he has some decent vision. But uh, you know, until you know, except in like Marcus Gasol's case, like unless you're uh, above average ball handler it's really tough to put your passing skills to like to really make them work in a functional setting. Uh, I, I mean, maybe that's a bit strong, but I mean, ball handling skills are generally what let people see 
passing skills flourish, is what I'm trying to say. All right, we have like 10 questions left, which we're not going to get to. So apologies to those people. We'll keep them in the back pocket for uh, later episodes. One more question for you, Eric, if that's uh, if that's okay with you. It's agreeable, yes. This comes from Josh, uh, out in uh, a Vancouver-based fan. Not to give away too much about Josh. Oh, you're gonna uh, take one- you're gonna take this question because it's wonderful, wonderful dude. Um, Eric, are there any players you think might excel in an empty f- arena format? <sighs> Wait, did you think I was about to tee up a different question? No, I thought you were uh, about to uh, criticize Vancouver. Oh, no, I'm leaving it. Uh, Josh is such a wonderful person that I wanted to get his question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a good question and not one that I've necessarily spent a lot of time thinking about. I mean, the point has been made that the Raptors had the same record home and away, so, you know, it stand. I don't know if it stands to reason that they should be a pretty good neutral site team. I'm not sure if that's even true. Nobody's sure if anything's true with this format. Yeah, the sample of neutral site games is zero. Yeah. Um, Who would... Do you have any answers that come to mind quickly? And I, I think league wide, Kawhi Leonard is like the most obvious and funnest answer of just like oh, yeah. no one. Obviously, he celebrated the the game seven winner, but like he had that quote last year of like he only celebrates things he's never done before. Um, this is gonna be know, just, yeah, this is gonna be it, wild it fits, for him then. <laughs> yeah, it fits Kawhi pretty well. Um, you know, I think uh, I think on the Raptors. I mean, you it's can more, you can give OG the same sort yeah. of. Because he has a similar personality in terms of expressing emotion, I, I don't know that uh, that's actually true, but it's a fun answer, I guess. Yeah, like I wonder, like, does this help guys like Lowry and Gasol, who are such big communicators on the floor, because it's a little easier to pick that up, or you know, does that does the playing field almost balance out because you know you're not going to have the home crowd che- like being too loud for the opposing team's offense? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that goes down. I could see it being like a boon to the high communication guys who are always barking orders and yelling things out. Um, You know, I could see it. I don't know. I could see it hurting some player types too. Like, you know, Abaka is always a guy who rides the, the kind of roar of the crowd. And, um, you know, you'd hope that the Raptors bench with, with some great celebrators like Dewan Hernandez and O'Shea Brissett will uh, help them with that. But yeah, I don't, it's a tough one. I don't think anyone's going to, thrive as much as evil who had the, the such a dominant new japan cup in empty arena shows but you know i don't think uh we don't know is the answer i'm sorry we've never seen anything like this i don't know um yeah does it hurt nick nurse like no i of, like, i think co- being able to be at the reins more like are we gonna have to go to like hand signals instead of play calls and stuff like that probably that's a good story idea um I, I would say coach, I mean, the big winners are coaches' voices, I think, is like, that's, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's going to hurt Fisherman's Friend sales and, and therefore Nick Nurse's uh, uh, ability to get uh, royalties off those commercials airing. <laughs> uh, maybe like people just say it's not a genuine need for anymore him anymore and stop buying Fisherman's Friends. But, you know, when I think of all the the press conferences that Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse have given, like with a quarter of a voice, I think 
that's the great unsaid winner here are, are the vocal cords of our coaches. All right. Uh, Eric, with that, I think we're at a, a natural point to wrap this podcast up. Uh, any final thoughts before we go? Um, no, it's just a, it's a weird in-between time. Like, I'm sort of just anxious for, not anxious, but excited for the games to start. Like, it's, you know, I was talking about this yesterday. It, like, it still feels like right now has more in common with the last few months than the next few months, hopefully, in terms of a content perspective. Uh, but that's sort of just personal work-related stuff. Um, everybody stay safe out there and hopefully despite, you know, the 15,300 new cases in Orlando and Sunday, uh, this goes as safely as possible and everybody, you know, most people stay healthy and everybody's responsible and, uh, this isn't a giant disaster. Which, you know, I'm always fearing things turning into giant disasters. <laughs> that, yeah, that's there's my... a real, you know, I, I, there's a real risk with that stuff. And it's it's been a little weird to get back to not content as normal. But I do feel like sometimes I need to put an ex- a disclaimer on every article and every podcast that like, hey, I'm aware of the, the moral issues here and I'm uncomfortable with it, but I still have a job. Yeah, like I'm really, I, I am. I'm sincerely conflicted about them returning to play. And I, I don't need to go into it too much, but I, I'm for, you know, both of the reasons that we've been spending a lot of the last, you know, two months at least talking about, like, I'm conflicted about whether this is the right thing to do. It certainly wouldn't be happening without uh, financial concerns, but uh, I mean, that plays to me as well. Like, obviously, I'm impacted in, a, in some small way by the return of basketball and it's in my benefit that basketball returns and that only makes me feel more conflicted anyway we're getting very navel gazing here which is always the danger of you asking me a question at the end of the podcast yeah but it's at the end of the podcast yeah nobody's listening anymore this is the time to gaze navelly Uh, (laughs) all right guys if uh again if you don't subscribe to the written side of the athletic already theathletic.com slash we the six right now uh, for 40% off or click any of our recent articles for a 30-day free trial Uh, failing that please rate subscribe all that good stuff for the podcast And we will talk to you guys uh, sometime next week. And then I think next week will be the last edition of the podcast where we don't have actual basketball to talk about because the scrimmages start at the back end of next week. Um, So as you know, I I know they're just scrimmages, but I know you guys are all uh, hungry for actual basketball content. So uh, one more of these to get through and then we're going to have real basketball to talk about. Uh, We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. See ya.